Welcome everybody to the DC Beer Show. We are at DC Beer across social media. Jordan, what are you drinking this lovely fall evening? Well, it's a season to be grateful, so I thought I would mix it up a bit. So for all the hot pits out there, I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm having a thick one. I'm having a dark roasted malt flavors with a little bit of dark chocolate, coffee, and fruit cake brewed by Maryland's very own Baby Cat Brewery. I grabbed this uh this can of this Russian Imperial Stout a couple of weeks ago at their Halloween party, and I'm still enjoying it. So having that, I'll get back to the haze craze probably in December uh, for a very exciting release then, but uh, more to come on that later. Stein, what is in your Stein, sir? Jordan, I appreciate you flipping the script because I am having a hotback <laughs> Imperial Red Ale. Oh, how the tables have turned. We really, really did the old one, too. We, we, swung, we swung it around. Hopped with Chinook, Comet, and Citra Hops, brewed in collaboration with Hop Hooligan. So this is a beer out of Ashburn. My good buddy, Fabio Garcia, owner, head brewer of Dynasty, brewed with the Hop Hooligans, who are a craft brewery in uh, Romania. And they were in the U.S. some time ago. They made this Imperial Amber Ale, which, now mind you, if it were not full of malt i wouldn't be on this wonderful hoppy yes but also malty and just neutral yeast uh hop back imperial amber ale which will absolutely pair great when i make my sweet potato ramelade roux mix when i have my brussels sprouts with caramelized onions bacon for my wife fake for my sister-in-law you know it you know I'm going to make some sweet potato drop biscuits. I'm going to make some mashed potatoes. I'm going to do some mac and cheese. The whole nine, special menu for my my beautiful sister-in-law who is vegan. Uh, and I'm going to pour her some weird sour beer when, when she comes and visits us. Uh, Jake, editor extraordinaire. Jake, what are you drinking? I have here a beer that perhaps you, Mike, can speak to. It is the Mount Vernon Porter. From Dynasty, which I believe is a Lost oh. Loggers collaboration. It is. Um, it's another Fabio beer, though. Yes, I'm beer it, by Fabio. it is another Fabio beer. I hear there's more Mount Vernon beer on the way. Perhaps something export strength, maybe even coming out the day that this podcast is released. So it's a blonde barley wine that's coming out of Dynasty. It will be on offer at Dynasty. It will also be on sale at Mount Vernon. Um, but yeah, shout out to Portishead. Also, shout out to Lost Generation. We just got an email from Jared. Uh, Anne was on the email too. Shout out to Jared and Anne. Amy Tan, the author of the Joy Luck Club, reportedly tried Tiger Spirit in NYC. Like, just this week. That's like, so cool. Whoa, are you kidding me? So cool. Yow from 50 Hertz, stay tingly, making it happen. Really we nicely done. Look at Yow go. From award-winning brewers to award-winning authors, we love to see it. Brandy, what's in your glass this evening? Well, hi, Mr. Stein. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Jake. I love you all. I can't wait to see you this weekend at the Beer Share. Um, I am actively drinking the Keller beer from Denizen's Hike the Alp series. This lovely little number clocks in at a whopping 5.3%. As you know, um, you know, the 
bros would call it crushable. So um, it's delicious. <laughs> um, their hike, their Alp collection is inspired by traditional breweries along the base of the German and Austrian Alps that Jeff enjoyed during his travels. A, I'm happy that he was able to do that. Good for him. And B, I'm thankful that this great adventure inspired him to create such stellar beer. Jeff also has inspiration from all kinds of other places, and they are uh, releasing a couple of other beers very, very soon if they haven't already released them. One I know was from last year, the Chapless Horseman, which is a bourbon barrel-aged Russian imperial stout. What? What? Um... The Call Waiting is a bourbon barrel-aged Scottish wee heavy with coffee. Did they have that one last year, guys? I don't. I feel like they had something just like it. If not, maybe they added the coffee. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think they had a nice. They always, they keep a wee yeah. heavy. Yeah, I think this is this is this year's iteration of that beer. Um, yeah. I'm a yeah, big fan. Yeah, it's so good. And then obviously the one that I'm drinking, the Keller beer is the um, Bohemian malted barley and Slovenian hops. So. Very beautiful, like an all all perfect to serve at at Thanksgiving, uh, I think. <laughs> uh, despite the fact that we're recording this episode on Tuesday, which is National Pickle Day, it is. If Ew. you didn't know, um, now you've missed it, and I'm sorry. That's my pickle goes. <laughs> I'd love to know. Pickle I'd ice. love to know what all of you are serving or, you know, at least highly anticipating drinking on Thanksgiving slash Native American Heritage Day the day after. Um, so I recently met the owner of an indigenous brewery in Asheville, North Carolina, which is my home state called Seven Clans at the Smithsonian Last Call events, which I saw Mike and Jake at. It was a great event. I can't wait to visit Asheville again and check it out. You know, one of Hellbender's two breweries Two brewer, one of the two brewers are indigenous. Um, so, you know, who just celebrated their ninth anniversary? What are you both, or all three, wanting to to drink at Thanksgiving or Friendsgiving? In my case, well, first I think I might need to stop by Stein's house because that menu lineup sounded uh, very right? delicious, very scrum delicious. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll fix your plate, but uh. But I'm actually headed down south, guys. I'm going down to Georgia for the holidays, so I'm I'm happy to, to be reunited with Monday oh. Night Brewing Company. Uh, I do hope that I can get my hands on some of their mixed firm stuff. Uh, but if not mixed firm, then it'll definitely be back to the hazies. Uh, so looking forward to just pairing a nice, crisp, single hop hazy IPA uh, with my greens, mac and cheese dressing. Uh, yes, I'm from the south. Yes, I fried chicken on Thanksgiving because, yes, I need to have some type of fried food that's not turkey. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that pairing. Uh, what about you, Jake? You doing anything from anything, any New York or Pennsylvania traditions for Thanksgiving? I'm going to be in New York in the city. And so come maybe 2 or 3 p.m., my first move is always Campari. Okay. Uh, just lets the body know, you know. Oh, it's time! <laughs> it's time to start working. We're we're gonna do a lot of things, you know, over the next few hours or so. Um, and so usually it starts with Campari and soda. Shake um, you! I hate then, to I don't want to interrupt you right now, but you just <laughs> spoke my language. I mean, not with the not with the Campari part, but like the Amaro. I I just drank a little tiny like ounce and a half of Amaro. 
because it's what my heart desires. So you, we got to we got to get you drinking local Amaro and like small batch, not a Campari necessarily, but I respect. Continue. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Well, look, <laughs> like if I'm here, I'm not opposed to going down to Ivy City and picking up a few bottles from Don Ciccio. As you um, should. Our own very yes, our own local Amaro King. But I'll be in New York, <laughs> um, so there'll definitely be Campari. And then um, from there, my wife's move now is, and she's vegetarian, but this is her move all the same, is to put the Brussels sprouts down on a sheet pan, um, put the wire rack on top of that, and then cook the bacon on top of that so that it all drips down into the Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like nice, delicate bubbles to cut the fat. Um so there's definitely going to be side yes. yeah. and I have, yeah, there's definitely, and we'll have more on that in a minute. Um, I've also managed to squirrel away one seven fifty of Cezanne Dupont, which is the, my official mm. beer of Thanksgiving. Uh, it is harder to come by for reasons that dcbeer.com will discuss uh, down the pike. Um, it has to do with the dissolution of Legends uh, Distribution Company and all of the brands and imports that got caught up in that. Um, we we won't bore you on the podcast, but yeah, several thousand words <laughs> that normally your editor would edit. Deep. This time, I'm going to edit the editor from 10K down to 3,000 words. Anyways, go on, Jake. Yeah, um, and then uh, with Pi... I like to play it two ways. Um, one is with whiskey of some sort. Um, my mom is not like a big whiskey drinker, but she always likes to keep like Maker's Marker early times, um, which is, I think, a pretty cruddy whiskey, but it's a great Thanksgiving whiskey. Um, she keeps it on hand because she adds a splash of it into whipped cream, which goes on top of a sweet potato mm-hmm. or pumpkin yep. pie. Yep. Uh the flip side of that is that I've got one last bottle, a 500 milliliter bottle of still beer. It's the Portified Black Tuesday. Mm. So it's Black Tuesday aged um, in a port pipe. That's how they store and age port in a mm. pipe mm-hmm. and then blended back with both fresh Black Tuesday and port. Completely not carbonated. Um, so not a cork and cage, uh, but a cork like a whiskey bottle that you can recap and uh, put once it's open. It should be good for a couple of weeks. And yeah, that'll probably be making an appearance as well. All right. Who's up next? We're talking food. We're talking cider. I mean, for Thanksgiving, I truly want to enjoy some smoked beers. Like... The Schilling f- Fooder A um, Lagered Smoke B- Bock that I just had. I feel like I'm stuttering so much. I'm so tired right now. Um, the Fooder Lagered Smoked Bock beer is called Brennan. Is it that is Brennan. Oh my God. Yeah. Did you give me that, Jake? Because, oh man. I, I, I handed you oh. Canada. I handed you. Yeah, I, was, I, I, I cracked that and I was like, Brennan. Heavens to, to Betsy. Heavens to Brennan. Let me just tell you. Uh, I wish I had 20 more of those beers. Uh, I would definitely serve them at Friendsgiving. Anywho, especially while I'm eating cheese or sitting by the fire pit, drunk with my friends after stuffing our faces with potluck Friendsgiving food. I also hope to have a beautiful table beer, actually, to serve during dinner. I It's hard to find table beer, I, in my opinion. Um, at least no local brewery really makes any. Um, so I think I'm going to go have to 
visit Schneider's or Erica at Craft Beer Cellar to see if see what they have going on. So if you all know of a good uh, table beer that I can find, please let me know. Uh, shoot me a message. Um, I also want to have some Lambic. Uh, I think that's that would be really good with some turkey and some cranberry stuff. I make collard greens. I'm from North Carolina, and I know that yeah, so I, I let them know, Brandy. Let I know that know. I, let I know. look white, but uh, you know, I. Uh, <laughs> it's not uh, about that. I make me some collard you greens. Cook, you can cook. Um, so, but more than anything, I'm gonna serve some uh, hot cider, like probably like a toddy, but a wassail or wassail vessel, um, and some beautiful crisp dry cider. I'm personally a member of Albemarle Cider Works located in Charlottesville, Virginia. I've been a member there for, geez, 10 years or so. I love the cider that Seaville is cranking out. Truly. If, if I know that maybe it seems like it's a far away place, but Charlottesville is really pretty and they make really good cider. Um, they also have Blue Bee Cider, which is located in Charlottesville as well. But I remember um, when Albemarle first opened, but I also remember when Potter's Craft Cider first opened. Um, I feel, I feel like they used to be, they used to, um, sell out of this trailer. Like it was a very small, um, no frills kind of thing. And I remember going to the Whole Foods down there, which was barely open at the time and they were serving Potter's and it was a huge deal. So you know, I need to become a member to their to their stuff too. But they have a beautiful space now, and uh, make fantastic cider. And I'm pretty sure we we get to listen to all the whole thing about the cider at Potter's, right? We are about to get into our interview with Andy Hannes, head cider maker of Potter's Craft Cider. Let's tune in. I am so excited to have Andy Hannes, head cider maker at Potter's Craft Cider joining us. Andy, thank you for joining us on the show. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, so I'm really excited to talk apples and ag uh, and ciders and all things uh, new with you. But uh, do I have it correct that Potter's is Potter's was born in 2011 and then you started in 2013? Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. I uh, just eclipsed my 10 year anniversary with wow. the company. Well, happy decade of making delicious craft cider in Virginia. I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> it has been uh, a wild 10 years. Yeah. You must have seen a significant amount of change in the decade that you've been producing really good fruit wine. Uh, cider is, of course, you know, the, the main. Uh, ingredient is apples. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you've seen in your 10 years in regards to apples, uh, Virginia ag, and sort of the changes that you've witnessed in your time. Yeah, um, I kind of stumbled into the cider job uh, on accident. Uh, the background in the culinary industry before moving to Charlottesville, um, moved here to work at a farm. And when farming season ended, just Already kind of knew the owners, Tim and Dan of Potter's, uh, from buying their cider in Richmond and just kind of started showing up, knocking on the door, asking if I could pick up some work. And, uh, at that time, that was the end of 2013. There was only a handful of cideries in Virginia. 
Uh, we had Foggy Ridge, of course, was the uh, the pioneer of the industry uh, with that in Flint in Floyd County. And then we had uh, the Shelton's and Marl Cider Works uh, just down the road from us, and then a couple others. So it was all still pretty new to me and to Virginia at that point. And Cider was kind of finding its footing amongst wine people and especially in the beer crowd at that time. Um, so I came to it with a homebrew background and having done a little bit of volunteer work at some commercial breweries, trying to just get my foot in the door and get out of the kitchen. So Potter's at that time was making farmhouse drives, the only product, and then had just started to roll out Oak Barrel Reserve, which was a uh, apple brandy barrel age cider. Uh, so everything was still very high alcohol, um, kind of appealing to the wine drinker. And then in the first couple of years of working there, uh, we started playing around with dry hop ciders. Uh, that was some of my first shifts there were playing around with hop trials. And uh, well, yeah, so 2014 was when I got back from my honeymoon in Brussels and came back and was convinced that we needed to make Lambic style cider. <laughs> so it's a, it took me about a year to convince the owners that uh, we should introduce Britannomyces willingly into the cellar. <laughs> um, and then another two years before we started to see any of those ciders turn around. But that really was 2014 when we just started kind of experimenting and going crazy with other fruits, hops, spices, things like that. Um, basically just as a way that we could diversify our portfolio uh, when varietal driven ciders uh, weren't necessarily appealing to our market, which was beer drinkers primarily. And it seems you have certainly hit the market well in that when you started, there were two products. And now I pulled into the craft beer cellar last week um, and I got a great grapefruit hibiscus cider in glass bottles over 8%. But then they also had cans of the great grapefruit hibiscus session cider at 4.5%. Uh, and then I got some other cider in cans. Um, so even just from a packaging perspective, I remember first coming into Potter's Craft Cider and thinking, this farmhouse dry is great. And, you know, it was it was around this time, the, the upcoming holiday with turkey. Uh, it was it was a great you know table product to pair with turkey, to pair with ham uh, for my my sister in law, who's been vegan for a while. A great product to pair with uh, fruits and veg and um, just, you know, highly aromatic and well seasoned things. Um, but it's amazing to see, you know, the, the cork and cage bottle shift to the can and still have the glass bottles and the beautiful presentation, you know, with the hibiscus, this orange colored uh, wine, right? Cider is, is wine, technically speaking. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's, if you ask the TTB, it is. Right, right. According to our uh, governmental uh, and federal overlords. Um, but tell us a little bit about the changes made from, you know, just cork and cage now into cans now offering cider that's 5%. You have this 5.5 ABV uh, cranberry orange blossom cider. I have this uh, wonderful petite cider at 4.5 ABV, which is a wonderful product. I'm loving this petite cider. 
tell us about some of these changes, what, what happened, you know, what you did to make them come about. Yeah. Some of that is just, um, us discovering ways that we could make the cider lower alcohol without compromising the characteristics of Virginia apples. Um, but mostly it's responding to consumer demand. Um, so like you said, there's a grapefruit hibiscus in a half liter glass bottle, eight and a half percent, just kind of where it lands naturally post ferment. Um, same ABV for farmhouse dry, a little higher on some of our barrel stuff and lambic style ciders. Um, in 2013, that was kind of still where a lot of craft beer was, especially the specialty stuff was large format bottles. Um, so it was an easy, uh, it was an easy case or display or stack for us to get into with retailers. And then there were, Shifts in the market towards cans, uh, but also around that time was the uh, height of the session IPA in popularity. So people were looking for lower alcohol things. We started kind of getting into that with our first can ciders were at 6.9%, a little bit lower. Mm -hmm. And then um, really the popularity of seltzers mm. was uh, what convinced us that we could go lower. Um, especially given that all of our ciders are completely dry, no sugar, no carbs. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of already hitting those stats that people are looking for when they drink a hard seltzer. Yeah. And then we had to make the decision if we wanted it to still be cider focus, or if we wanted the apples to play sort of background to whatever other fruit we might add and make what you would call a cider seltzer, I guess. And uh, I think, I think we kind of split the difference there between like the grapefruit hibiscus session. It's certainly more grapefruit and hibiscus forward. Mm -hmm. uh, but then we've got the petite cider, which is just, you know, apple focused mm -hmm. and really just kind of drinks like a lighter version of farmhouse dry. Um, and in that same series, we also have a Citra and Amarillo hopped session cider mm. so again finding something for the beer crowd in, in that package format that appeals to them yeah for folks who want that hop zing but you know keeping it within potter's craft cider that's a wonderful alternative um yeah it's really interesting uh you know i noticed when i was uh researching earlier today the grapefruit hibiscus session cider you know in the in the copy you mentioned a flavorful alternative to hard seltzer um which absolutely i don't like yucking anybody's yum but i basically never drink seltzer unless it's um a hoppy sparkler and we're lucky in dc metro we have uh, port city making hopwell which is a wonderful beverage there's of course lagunitas in sierra nevada getting national distro um but i was uh communicating with uh paulette palacios and they're the uh, manager at DC Brow, um, who is certainly DC's biggest seltzer maker. And Paulette was telling me uh, they were saying they really loved the uh, grapefruit hibiscus session cider. That was their jam. And it's so great to see the beer world embracing the cider world, I would argue now more in 2023 um, than they really ever have. And you're just 
leading the charge in many ways uh, from from Seaville all the way up to DC, you know, and 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 northerly past DC. But um, it's really interesting to see, you know, you responding to market demands to what consumers want, but then also driving um, the creative and experimental train. You know, before we started the interview, we were talking about the raspberries and Brett uh, cider that we tried at Snallygaster. And I think for myself and Jake, maybe Brandy and Richard, we were just blown away at the expressive flavor of it. And you tried it and we were with uh, Harry, with your colleague, and it was like, oh, this is really good. Like, what's uh, what's going on here? Well, you know, this took this long to make. And, of course, the raspberries and Britannomyces. Um, and I was like, oh, by the way, it's 8 or 9%. And I was like, what? No, it's not. You're lying. <laughs> um, so we have to be careful with these ciders. They are, they are a wonderful expression of Virginia agriculture with the apples. Um, but then there's really something special with the Britannomyces uh, cider that you've created. Yeah, thinking that um, it's a really fun cider for us. We, the first year we did bread ciders, um, we did raspberry, black raspberry, peaches, blackberry, and uh, I feel like there was one more that I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But just trying to find the the fruit that stood out the best and complemented that sort of uh, sharp, funky, acidic character and you know, being that it was inspired by Belgian lambics and goose, um, raspberry was a pretty obvious choice. Uh, anyone who's ever had a Belgian framboise can tell you that raspberry character sticks around post ferment. Yeah, and so that batch that is um, in the market now, we limited amount. That was a blend of actually one, three, and five year aged wow. uh, Brett barrels. So those all started out either. Uh, spontaneous fermentation or inoculated with Britannomyces. Um, and actually some of the barrels were inoculated with the flower yeast from our friends at Pendruid in Sperryville, oh, wow. uh, which is kind of their house mixed culture. Yeah, we had up to five years of uh, barrels there. And then we blended them all into a Hungarian oak uh, 2000 liter cask. Mm. that we added 200 pounds of whole raspberries from Winchester, Virginia, mm. uh, from Glazed Orchard. So even down to the fruit addition and the yeast, it is uh, pretty Virginia agriculture focused. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so I'm a huge nerd and I'm with you, but for our listeners who are like, what is Stein talking about? You're talking about some batch of cider that originated five years ago. In addition to a batch of cider that started fermenting three years ago and then one that's one year old and multiple yeast strains. So some spontaneous, meaning you didn't add what we call a slurry. There was no pitch of yeast. You didn't add a liquid yeast or a dry yeast. Um, but you did have yeast from the Pendruid Brewing Company, who now also is a cider producer, and they just made their first wine, which is super exciting. So not only did you blend in the lambic Belgian tradition five, three, and one-year-old beers to get, or excuse me, ciders together, um, you had multiple yeast strains and multiple harvest varieties. Obviously, if right, the 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 twenty, the two thousand, the the twenty eighteen, twenty fifteen cider was not the same apples, right? They just every year 
you have apples from different trees, different orchards you're sourcing. So tell us, you know, this is, it's a cuvee, right? A great growth, <laughs> a blend. Um, tell us about some of the labor that goes into that and what, you know, were you thinking five years ago, this would be great five years from now, or is it the culmination of all of your hard work over the seasons coming together? Well, and I should, yeah, add further to that, that five years before they went into the cask with the raspberries where it aged for another year mm. and then has now been aging in kegs and package for almost another year. So, you know, we're really going back to almost seven years ago where some of these ciders started. Um, but yeah, those were barrels that, you know, were not quite right for another blend or just maybe we thought it was going to start on its own and be a little faster, but maybe it lagged behind the rest. So it didn't make it into a blend five years ago, but we held on to it. Um, or just some of it, you know, we were in a really, really small space on a horse farm out in Free Union, Virginia. And sometimes, you know, it tastes a barrel and it doesn't taste great, but it would be too much work to get it out and dump it. So we just left it uh, <laughs> until we could get to it. Mm. And then when we went to pull it out and, you know, had a little nail through the barrel head to pull a sample and tasted it again a couple of years later, it's like, oh. Maybe it's good we didn't dump them. We should hold on to things when they taste weird. That's a very Belgian thing. I'll, I'll say really quickly, uh, Dre Fontanen, we had the, the three fountains, you know, Goose and Lambic Brewery, and they talk about having barrels that are so weird they'll never make it to market. <laughs> like, it's just house beer for, you know, their 20 employees. Anyways, please continue. Yeah, I think it's um, just reading some of the stuff out there in like the the sour beer brewing world, like the um, American Wild Ale book, or any of the stuff written about Belgian beer making, or um, even when the first time we visited Millstone Cider in Maryland when they were still open, yeah, and just tasting some of these barrels and being kind of like, is this okay? And just to hear <laughs> their attitude towards it, which is like, yeah, it just needs sun. It's like it's supposed to taste like this right now. Um, <laughs> So just learning to to be patient with some stuff. And, um, you know, one of our first uh, Lambic batches we made with blackberries, whole blackberries. And, you know, a blackberry is solid in the center um, with like a really tannic core. And so we thought we could just treat it like raspberries, which obviously are much sweeter and hollow. Um, the raspberries were ready to serve right away. And the blackberry had to age for another year. It was just mm. so astringent. Mm. So it just it's really been lessons learned along the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's amazing. Um well what a journey you have been on, uh learning very valuable lessons as you go as you produce cider. Um what's next for Andy Hannis, what's next for Potter's Craft Cider? Are we going to see more cans? I love how many cans we're seeing in D.C. in addition to the classic farmhouse dry uh, grapefruit hibiscus. Um, yeah, and, and I'll say before I ask you about the future, it's wonderful to see probably 2013, probably not long after you first came on, I started noticing farmhouse dry more and more coming to D.C. But now 10 years later, it seems like the price of a bottle just from the consumer perspective has come down 
I, I don't know if that's, uh, you know, if my anic data is accurate, if that's just the, the fog of memory, but it, it feels like farmhouse, it feels like the pricing for the cider is, um, you know, more reasonably priced now. And I don't know if that's because you're making more or what, but tell us about the future, what's coming down the pike. And, you know, I, I know you, you are, if it's the classic split of like front of house, back of house, you are in the cellar, you are back of house, but you're also seeing what's happening out there in the market. Um, tell us a little bit about what we're seeing and, and what the future holds. Sure. Yeah. So um, we talked about potters kind of shifting a lot of production from large format bottles over to cans to keep up with the market. Um, we, as uh, you mentioned, Farmhouse Dry is still in that cork and cage 750 mil bottle. We love the presentation of something like that. Um, woodcut label, uh, printed cork, the gold cage. It's, you know, pretty classic cider or craft beer aesthetic. Yeah. Um, we just, at the end of 2019, opened our first brick and mortar tasting room. And so that was our first time having a permanent retail establishment where we could take things like farmhouse dry, raspberry bread, um, or single varietal ciders like our Hughes crab or Harrison that, uh, before we couldn't really sell it out into the world that great because people don't know what it is when they see it on the store or on the store shelf. And we can't just depend on someone be uh, to be standing there at every Whole Foods, Kroger, wine and beer shop to tell people what dry cider is and walk them through apple varietals. They don't have the name recognition that grapes do. So uh, we've really used this retail space that we have as the opportunity to expand our apple-focused ciders because we now have a captive audience. Mm. People will come there to see us. And so we have these ciders now to show them, um, which is great because just a uh, wider span of Virginia agriculture that we can show to people. So we've got, uh, I think, nine or ten single varietal ciders available now, um, including two new ones in our Palm Sauvage series, which is our Method Champenois. Mm. Um, so re-fermented in the bottle, riddled and disgorged. Um, one is a Albemarle Pippin single varietal, uh, fermented in American white oak floater. Wow. Um, that one is, uh, super citrusy, bright acid. Um, it's really beautiful. Uh, and the other one is a wine sap Champenois, uh, fermented in that same floater and a little more like floral and like red fruit, berry, uh, pear kind of driven profile. Um, so those are trickling out into the market, mostly at our tasting room. As for in the wider world of cider outside of Charlottesville, we are working on our new cider that we hope to get out by the end of the year. Uh, it'll be called Imperial Dry. Hmm. So it'll be kind of the halfway point between our petite cider, which is a four and a half percent, uh, apples only cider. And our farmhouse dry, which is an eight and a half percent, um, and a representation of our favorite cider apples in Virginia. This imperial dry will be an eight percent canned cider in six bags, and uh, we're hoping to get out statewide. So keep an eye out for that one. And then, 
you know, we've got at the end of the year our collab with Jinsen Chan from Highside and Fairfax. Uh, we do a Gunza style cider with them, inspired by the flavors of uh, produce markets of Taiwan. So, mm. so a Gunza cider with uh, pink guava, sour plum, and sea salt. Wow. So that that's called Beautiful Island. Mm. Uh, that'll be out end of the year or early January. We'll be having a release party together at Highside, hopefully. That's super exciting. So if we don't get to see you in Charlottesville, uh, we'll see you in Fairfax. Yeah, and that's uh, also a great spot to find our cider is nice. uh, at Highside. Nice. That's great. We're so looking forward to these new uh, specialty ciders and then, of course, you know, wider wider distribution. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate having you on the pod, and uh, we look forward to seeing more of your cider in D.C. proper and the D.C. metro region. Yeah, thanks for having me, and thanks for all the support. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Potters, and thank you, Mike. All right, a couple events worth discussing on the 1st and the 2nd of December. December 1st. Jordan, you got something going on? Well, you know, something has been brewing. Uh, you know, we, we decided to, to partner up with, <laughs> yeah, you know, someone has to be. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy and honored to have partnered up with uh, Third Hill Brewing Company out of Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh, our first collab together, we have put together a beautiful, beautifully well-crafted hazy IPA uh, hopped on Strata and Mosaic. Uh, so we'll be dropping the Homecoming Volume 1. This will be the first of many. Uh, this will probably be our perennial uh, IPA. We'll drop it a little earlier in the fall for future years, but uh, just uh, the nature of 2023, uh, we wanted to do something before we we got up out of here. But, but yeah, happy to be uh, partnering up with Dirty Hill uh, on behalf of the Harvey Wilder Scholarship Foundation, uh, where we, we raise funds and we empower uh, graduate high school graduating seniors and incoming uh, freshman students that are attending historically black colleges and universities. So, uh, just beyond excited to to support local students. Uh, we're definitely looking for a lot of DC, Maryland, and Virginia graduates to apply. So, if you have any any graduating seniors out there uh, that are interested in HBC, HBCUs or learning about HBCUs, or if you just like to support our foundation and what we do, I uh, would love to have you guys stop by. Uh, 8216 Georgia Avenue, the home of Third Hill uh, Brewing in Silver Spring, uh, just so you guys can get, grab some cans, taste the lovely taste of homecoming at an HBCU and, uh, and come out and support. We have some tickets going on sale right now for commemorative glassware and merch ideas and whatnot. So, so definitely all support is appreciated. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But don't do everything on Friday. Still saves your endurance, especially for the beautiful ladies out there, because uh, Saturday is what's what's happening Saturday, Brandon? It is our December Women's Brew Culture Club outing. We are going to be at um, Lost Boy Cider. It's a whole cider theme, I guess. It is. It is cider season. So pick the maples, eat the pie, drink the juice, ferment it or not. But on on December the second, come and join the Women's Brew Culture Club. We're out in Virginia, y'all. We're doing Virginia this month. Um, so make sure you join us from two to four that day. And uh it's gonna be it's gonna be lovely. I'm so excited to go out to Virginia for for an event. But right after Thanksgiving, if you're looking for something to do, not after literal Thanksgiving, because we're all gonna be sleeping and 
waking up a couple hours later and then eating some more and drinking some more. But on the 25th, which is Saturday, please go and visit all of your local breweries and say hi to them. They are coming back from their holiday as well and support them, especially go visit Streetcar 82, the Defone Brewery in Hyattsville, Maryland. They are going to have a maker's market, a small business Saturday market, and tons of awesome vendors, deaf and hearing. And I'm actually going to be there as well. So uh, make sure you come and check out support. Um, And if you don't get to Hyattsville, go support your other breweries. And I truly wish everyone has a lovely Thanksgiving. And, uh, And if you don't have any family to enjoy it with, drink with yourself. <laughs> just just have some good beer. And and if you choose not to to drink with yourself, or if you have the whole family coming in town, uh, we have some lovely perks for our Patreon members. You definitely get some uh, some discounts at a lot of our local breweries. So you can definitely slide to uh, breweries in Virginia, in DC, and in Maryland. And we're always partnering up with uh, with local breweries to to just make sure that, you know, we put the community first and that they continue to put the community first. So we just want to let you guys know that, uh, bring the family in, show the family around. We have an awesome beer trails on the DC beer page. So check out everything that we have. Cause again, you know, uh, DC beer is not just DC beer. It's the DMV beer hub. And we're happy to serve our community and you all, all of, all of our wonderful listeners. So, uh, that's my spill. Happy Thanksgiving. Don't fry, don't burn the turkey. If you're on turkey duty, and, uh, stay safe. Well said, everybody. Um, we'll see some of you at our beer share on Sunday. Um, thanks for listening at DC Beer across the socials, dcbeer.com. Be well, everybody. Shop small. <laughs>